0: What is your favorite candy? Sour Patch or Sour Patch Kids. I, I like all candies. I like the bean. Lollipop chocolate. It just tastes really good. <laughs> do you ever talk to God? What do you say? I say thank you for, for my food, thank you for my family, thank you for my friends. Um, uh, we pray. Pray at bedtime, we play them before we eat. What is your favorite thing about God? That He can do anything. Gives me life. That He can pretty much do anything. He He eats lots of food and he he cleans up his room. He He's so bl- awesome. He, and he, he has superpowers. <laughs> My favorite thing He gave us is. Blessings that Jesus Henry sent his son to earth. Why do we celebrate Easter? They oh. celebrate why God died on the cross. Because that's when God grows up. Because that's when when Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. <laughs> morning, everybody. Good morning. Happy, Easter. Happy Easter. How fun is it to be able to see Easter through the, eye, through the eyes of children, right? And you, some of you are doing a good job teaching those kids. And some of you? <laughs> uh, so good morning. My name is Brad, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad you're here. There's an there's a old Christian tradition that's been going on for 2,000 years or so. When we get together on Resurrection Sunday morning, somebody says, He is risen. And everybody else goes, yeah, it's just how we greet one another and say that this matters to us. This is why we're here. This is why we're doing this. So thanks for being here. We're going to celebrate Jesus today. It's all about Jesus all day long. It should be about Jesus every day, all year long, but that's what we're focusing on. He is who we're focusing on today. And uh, it's fun to look at it through the eyes of children. So we've got children next door in Kids Fest. We've got them over on the block doing some things and uh, learning the stories about Jesus. It's always fun at Easter with children. And those of you who are moms care about this a lot. Those of you who are dads, like, you're just like, get in the car. We're going to church. You know, but moms like, dress up. You got to get them dressed up. got to make sure their shirt matches with the pants and the socks. You know, all that stuff really matters to you. Uh, and then the guys just don't get that stuff. But it's still fun. And doing the whole Easter egg, you know, thing with the kids, I don't get to do that, you know, like yet. I don't know. I got grandkids, so I'm, hope, I'm hoping someday we're going to do the Easter egg thing. I like doing the, the deal on the egg, you know, with the crayons. Like that, you know, and then you dip them in the dye and they come out with these cool hidden things. Yeah, good. Okay, two people in the front row think that's fantastic, like me. So I love all that stuff. I love seeing it through the eyes of children. We're going to start a series today of talks where we're going to talk about what will we tell the children. You ever notice how there are certain things in life that are hard to tell the children? There's certain, well, actually, there are certain things in life that are hard to tell yourself. I mean, it's hard to tell the children what we think about some of these things because we don't even know what we think about some of these things, and we don't know what to make about what goes on in this world. And today we're talking about what will we tell the children about God, but, and which means what will we tell ourselves about God. And then in the next couple of weekends, three weekends, we're going to talk through some other really challenging issues in our culture that are all flavored by what will we tell ourselves and what will we tell our children about God. So I'll give you some more uh, insight into what's coming up in a few minutes, but let's just talk about God for a little bit and tell the story of Jesus again, just straight up. If you came in, you're like, I don't know what they're going to talk about. Resurrection. Okay, so yeah, some of you didn't know that was coming, so I'll I'll unroll that for you as we go along here in the next few minutes. So I want to tell the story of Jesus and his disciples and the things that happened with him, and I want to pick it up. Really late in the journey of Jesus' life, it's actually on Friday, what we now call Good Friday, Jesus has lived this extraordinary life, been a a miraculous healer, been a wise teacher, and uh, he made some enemies. And you're like, how can a person like Jesus make enemies? But he made some enemies, and so there were these Jewish leaders in the nation of Israel, and they got jealous of Jesus because he was really popular, and they were losing popularity out to him, and so they got jealous of him, and so they started looking for ways to arrest him and get him out of the way and things like that. And they finally arrested him. They took him to the governor Pilate, and they said, we think you ought to execute him, which is a pretty, pretty fast track to get where they went with Pilate. And Pilate has a conversation with Jesus. And I don't know how much of it is recorded in the scriptures. There's quite a bit of it recorded in the Scripture. But it seems like the the more Pilate talked to Jesus, the longer his conversation with Jesus went on, the the, the more nervous Pilate became. Here's the governor of a Roman province. He's been sent out there by Caesar. He's got a lot of power. He's got a lot of authority. But as he's talking to Jesus, he gets more and more anxious about how this conversation is going. And I believe the reason for that is when you have a conversation with Jesus, it doesn't take very long before he begins to ring authentic to you. Something about Jesus just begins to ring true to you. You may come to the Bible and you go, oh, I, I got a lot of problems with the Bible. You may have been taught in college, the Bible's got contradictions and different things like that. You go, i, I got struggles with the Bible. And you, go, you might go, I don't like that story in the Old Testament. Or I don't, you know, there might be all kinds of stuff you have with the Bible. But if you just look into the life of Jesus, if you just zoom into the life of Jesus and you read one of the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, And you read it like a conversation. It won't be long before you'll say something rings authentic about him. And that's why people for 2,000 years have been leaning into his life. Because it rings true. And here's Pilate. He's having a conversation with Jesus. And as he's having the conversation, he's hearing echoes of eternity. He's going, "This, this man's got things dialed in way more than I do. This man has some ancient understanding that I don't understand. That I don't have. And so he's leaning into Jesus. Now, I want to pick up the story there from the scripture. So if you have your copy of the Bible and you want to follow along, open up to John chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, no problem. You can just listen. If you want to, you can take out your smartphone. There's an app in there called YouVersion. It's a, it's a, it's a version of the Bible. It's an app for the Bible, and we've got some notes in there, and we've got the scriptures all pulled out for you so you can read them really easily. If you want... And there's some instructions in Lakeside Life in terms of how to get into that and follow along where we are. So, a bunch of options for you. We're going to read John chapter 19 and 20 mostly today. Uh, so let me start with John chapter 19, verse 12. We'll pick it up kind of where I left you off there. <clears throat> it says, From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement. It was a day of preparation of the Passover, and it was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. And finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified you ever you ever hear a political you ever hear political conversation three of you you ever hear p- political conversation or engage in political conversation when you know somebody's lying is that like nervous laughter like yo are we going to talk about politics today no, we're not because it's Easter. We're not going to get into that stuff today. We are going to talk about Jewish politics and Roman politics from 2,000 years ago. It's really safe. It was a long time ago. <laughs> but here's a political conversation and somebody's clearly lying in the middle of it. What a shocker that is. For us, And so here's these Jewish leaders, and they arrest Jesus, and they've had a trial for him. It was an illegal trial. It it wasn't supposed to happen. They had it at night. They had it in the wrong place. Nothing was going the way it was supposed to go in this trial. But in the trial, they convicted Jesus of being the Son of God, or at least claiming to be the Son of God. They convicted him, which that was a crime in Israel that was a capital offense. If you did that, if you claim to be God, which means you're claiming to be equal with God— you 're supposed to be executed that 's what the law said, but the Jewish people didn't have the right of execution anymore they didn 't have capital powers anymore because they were under roman rule and so they took Jesus to the governor, the Roman governor, and they said he 's guilty you ought to you ought to hang him, you ought to crucify him you ought to do something get him out get him out of the way and Pilate knows that they're there because they're jealous of Jesus. He can see right through what they're doing. And he knows that the Jews aren't even giving him the whole story that they really believe. Like they convicted Jesus of claiming to be the son of God. But when they bring him to Pilate, they say, he thinks he's the king of the Jews. That's a political maneuver on their part to set it up so that Jesus is opposed to Pilate's king or emperor, Caesar. So they arrest him, they bring him to Pilate, they go, he, he thinks he's the king of the Jews. Pilate goes, that's a scam, and he begins to make plans to set Jesus free. And when he's doing that, the Jewish leaders begin to say, if you let him go, you are no friend of Caesar. I mean, that's, that's not a very nice thing to say. You know, you're, you're not so-and-so's friend. Well, that's not exactly what he's saying. What he's saying is there's a political Class, There's a political title called Friend of Caesar. Today it would be like Friend of the President. Or if you're you're in the United Kingdom, Friend of the Queen, things like that. But it was an official title. And so for a governor, he had to be Friend of the King. He had to be Friend of the Emperor, Friend of Caesar. He had to be, otherwise he was a traitor and he was going to be executed. So now it's not only Jesus on trial, now it's Pilate on trial. Is he a Friend of Caesar or not? Jewish leader said, if you let Jesus go, you are no friend of Caesar. And Pilate knows he's completely stuck. So he comes out and he sits on the judgment seat where everyone can see him. And he looks out to the Jewish leaders and points to Jesus and says, here's your king. Here's the king of the Jews. And what do the Jewish leaders say? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got a helper up here in the front. If you're in the back, you can't hear what's going on. What, what did the Jewish leaders say? They said, we have no king but Caesar. And Pilate sent sitting on the stage going, liar, liar, liar. He goes, you hate Caesar. You've never liked Caesar. Caesar's the one that sent me here. Caesar's the one who sent soldiers in your, into your country. You hate Caesar. Oh, no, we love Caesar today. We're friends of Caesar today. And Pilate finally knows that he's got no more exits that he can use as an off-ramp from this freeway, and so he condemns Jesus to die. Now we're going to fast forward through the through the whole story of the crucifixion. We, we commemorated that on Friday, a good Friday, where we just talked about the cross a lot and what it meant that Jesus died on the cross for us and things like that. We're going we're to fast forward over that part today. At the end of the day, they took him from the cross and then they buried him in a tomb, rolled a stone in front of it, sealed it to say, "He's in, it's over, it's done." We're going to skip over that part. We're getting into the Saturday and Saturday. can you imagine Saturday if you're a follower of Jesus that first Saturday after the crucifixion? Can you imagine how quiet that day was? Can you imagine Peter who had denied that he knew Jesus three times? How do you medicate that pain? How do you ever forgive yourself, much less expect forgiveness from God? Imagine how dark it was on that Saturday. We're going to fast forward through that day. You get to Sunday morning. It's Easter Sunday morning. It's the very first Easter Sunday morning, and some of the disciples and some of the followers of Jesus they go down to the tomb and they're going to get Jesus really ready for burial because they didn't have time on Friday before the Sabbath was going to come. So they're going to fix them all up, uh, you know, put the put the dressings on and all the perfumes and all the stuff that they would do in that generation. They're going to fix them up, and they get there and the and the stone is rolled away and the body is gone. and And some of the disciples are like, Yay! And some of the disciples are like, Yay! And some of the disciples are like, What? And there's confusion among them. They don't, they don't know what happened. Every time Jesus, while he was alive with them, every time he had talked about the fact that he was going to die and rise again, they scratched their head and the, and the, and the writers say they didn't know what he was talking about. Every time. So when Jesus actually was missing from the tomb, most of them didn't go, oh, I knew what he said this was going to happen. Most of them went, what is happening? And some women said he showed up to them. He, like, appeared to them. And some disciples said, well, I didn't see him. And some said, well, unless I can see the nail prints in his hands and the, and the wound in his side from the spear they threw at him, I'm not going to believe. But now you go all the way through Sunday. And you get to Sunday night. First Easter Sunday night. And all the disciples are together in a room. And they're terrified. Because all they know so far... For sure, is an empty tomb, and not everything that's empty is wonderful. You ever you ever come across something uh, empty? You ever find something that's empty? You ever go to the refrigerator and it's empty? Or worse, do you ever go to the refrigerator and you're looking for milk and there's a carton in there and you pull it out and it's empty? Yeah, and, what, and, and what do you do? Men just put it back. Yeah. Certainly it was a man who stuck it in there in the first <laughs> place. Like, well, there's a drop. You know, I don't want to waste the drop, you know. And, you know, women take it out, throw it away, write a note. We need milk. Not everything that's empty is wonderful. You ever, have you ever found your wallet after your teenage son had it? And you're sure that that thing used to have at least 20 bucks in it. Now it's empty. Or have you ever pulled your car into the garage and opened the trunk only to find that it's empty? And you say to yourself, oh, man, did I leave the groceries in the shopping cart again? (laughs) And then you go around to the back seat where the kid's car seat is and you go, oh, man. (laughs) Did I leave the baby in the shopping cart again? Not everything that's empty is wonderful. We get, all, we get all excited 2,000 years later. We go, it's an empty tomb. We got pictures of the tomb and the opening and the stone rolled away. It's like, oh, this is really great. Not everything that's empty is wonderful. And the disciples on Sunday night are going, we don't really know what happened. And we got conflicting stories that are going on. So what's up? John chapter 20, verse 19 picks it up from there. John writes, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. See, it's it's Resurrection Sunday, but they're not all cranked up yet. What they're doing is they're hiding because they know the Jewish leaders have become friends of Caesar, whatever that means to them. And they know that the Jewish leaders who took Jesus out are willing to take them out. So they're hiding. The doors are locked. They're terrified because they don't understand life anymore. Suddenly, life is hostile and fragile and unfamiliar and frighteningly empty. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Suddenly, without a key, Jesus is standing in a locked room right in the middle of his disciples. And he offers them one word. Peace. Peace. It's the word that comes from the Jewish word shalom. That's a word that doesn't simply mean absence of conflict. It means presence of fullness. It means whole. To have peace is to be whole. To have peace is to be filled up. It means that which was broken is now mended. That which was sick is now well. That which is dead is now alive. And Jesus offers that. That's the, that's the fruit of the resurrection. Peace. Now some of the disciples still weren't sure. And so Jesus then went around the room and he goes, uh, can, can, I just, can I just show you some like physical evidence? Can I just give you some tangible evidence of the fact that I actually died and I rose? And he pulls up his sleeve and he shows his disciples the nail prints in his hands. And he let's them touch the wound in his side, and they're healed, but they're scarred. And then he turned to them again and he said, peace. That's the fruit of the resurrection. That's the outcome of the resurrection that Jesus offers to us. The empty is now full. What in your life needs a Resurrection. Isn't that the question when you come to Jesus and when you come to Easter Sunday? I mean, when you're, when you're thinking about a man who died and then rose from the grave, that doesn't happen. It's not an April Fool's trick. It's not an April Fool's joke. It's real. It happened. He came back to life. Now, what do you do with that? Don't you have to look at your own life and go, is there anything in my life that needs resurrection? What in your life needs resurrection? Is it your mind? Is your mind poisoned by all the stuff that this world pours into it and that you just keep welcoming into your mind? Does your mind need a resurrection? Does your mind need a resurrection from the stories that you tell yourself all the time about whatever's going on in this world and so many of those, the times those stories turn out to be poisoning yourself? Does your mind need a resurrection? What about your soul? That thing that connects you with other people. That thing that connects you with your spouse or your parents or your children or your siblings or your roommate or your workmates or your teammates. Does your soul need a resurrection? Do your relationships need a resurrection? Maybe your body needs a resurrection. What in your life needs a resurrection? Or maybe, maybe even, what if your life needs a resurrection? I mean, what if you look at your whole life and you go, man, this thing is a mess. There's no wholeness in this at all. There's no peace in this at all. My whole life needs a resurrection. And don't miss the lie in the question. Because if you go, if you ask, what in my life needs a resurrection, there's a lie in the question, which I don't know if that's logically possible to put a lie in a question, but, there, but there's one there. If your life needs a resurrection, your life is not alive. If your life needs a resurrection, your life is not a life. It's something else. If it needs a resurrection, it needs life. And Jesus rose from the grave to give us life. And that life comes with an offer of peace. In every place that's broken in your life, in every place that's wounded in your life, in every place that's diseased in your life, in every place that's dead in your life, Jesus says, peace. It comes with the resurrection. There's some beautiful statements in the scripture that describe the power of God's resurrection Uh, For us because it's not just that jesus rose and the rest of us won't it's that we all if we lean into him by faith We all get to rise with him We all have resurrection in our life that comes from him if we follow him by faith If we lean into him with faith Here's some statements of that power and that beauty philippians chapter 3 verse 10 says I want to know christ Yes, and the power of his resurrection Man, that's what I want I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I don't want to live my life. If I don't have to, I don't want to live my life without resurrection power. But if it's an option for me, then I want it. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. Why? Because of his great love for us. Man, you may have been far from God, and you had no idea how much God loves you, but God loves you so much that he sent his son into the world, allowed him to die on a cross, and then come back to life for us. Why would he do that? Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says it this way. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Why would God do what he's done for us? The apostle Paul tells us right there, he says, it's because God is for us. Lean into that one. It's because God is for us. It's because God is for you. He's for you. What would change in your life if you just leaned into this idea by faith that God is for you? He is, he is, he is on your side. He's cheering for you. He's for you. Are you kidding me? That's so opposed to all the other traditions of religions with, with the gods and how they see the gods and how the gods are always frightening and they're always opposed to us and they're always trying to trick us to do something and they're, they're kind of against us. And here's, here's Jesus who represents the God of the Scriptures and it says, He's for us. That's a remarkable turn of events in religious history. God is for us. And that's why He sent His Son. And that's why He raised Him up, so that He could raise us up with Him and offer us peace. What in your life needs a resurrection? And what if your life needs a resurrection? And if your children were to ask you about God, what would you say to them? You might say, Well, He's holy. You might say, well, he's good. You might say, well, he's merciful. You might say he's creative and all those things would be true. But the most important thing you could tell them is that he's the God of the resurrection and he's for you. And if he's the God of the resurrection and if he's for you, that should change everything we do and how we live our lives these days. And every conversation that we have, even the, even the hard conversations, even the political conversations, all the conversations that we have get flavored, they get colored by the fact that the God of resurrection is for you. In the next few weekends, we're going to talk about some of these hard topics because I think the church needs to talk about them. The church needs to engage in the stuff that's hard in our culture today, but we have to do it from a framework of resurrection. We have to do it from a framework of peace. We have to do it from a perspective that says God is for us. So next weekend, we're going to talk about racial tension and racial reconciliation. I think that matters today. The week after that, we're going to talk about sexuality. I'm taking vacation that day. Actually not, I'm going to be here, I'm going to wade into it from a perspective of resurrection. And in the last week of the series, we're going to spend some time talking about hate because it's all around us and it is not the measure of Jesus. It is not the message of Jesus. Because just like Jesus did 2,000 years ago in a locked room with his disciples, he does for us today. He stands right in the middle and he holds out his hands to you and to me. And he says, I'm for you. What in your life needs resurrection? I want to give you peace. Jesus, I pray for us today. I'm grateful that you're here. I'm so grateful that you have risen. Indeed. And Lord, I know there's a lot of people in the room who have journeyed with you for a long time and they love you, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and today is purely celebration day for them. But there's some among us, Lord, who have been far from you. And they came in today and maybe they've been investigating you. Maybe they've been trying to figure out who you are. Maybe someone just offered them brunch after church. I don't know but there are some among us, Lord, who are now thinking about who you are and what's this resurrection that you offer. And there are many in the room, probably, Lord, who are saying, what in my life needs a resurrection? And it doesn't take very long to think about it before we know what it is. So, Lord, for everyone who's seeking you out today, everyone who's saying, Jesus, I want to lean into you by faith. Lord, hear them when they surrender their life to you when they say, I want in, Jesus, starting today, hear their prayer, hear their desire, and give them peace. Raise them up to life with you. Not someday, not just someday, but right now today. Jesus, thank you for these things. We love you. Amen.